1: The more that they happen, the more that you become more resilient if you can get through them. And now that something is thrown at me on a daily basis, I go, (laughs) I can get through that. That's easy.
2: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Whatever you're doing right this very moment, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of this community with myself and with everyone else. I hope by listening into this podcast, you're able to learn a lot. I hope you're able to grow and try new things and challenging experiences in your life. I hope this definitely helps you along those journeys. I also just want to make a couple of things really quick mention here, guys. I do acknowledge that some of the topics that I discuss on this podcast might be tough to handle. They might trigger certain things in your life emotionally, physically. So it's okay if you feel like you need to skip certain parts of episodes or skip an entire episode, whatever is needed to make you feel most comfortable. I respect that. And I'm also going to sit here and say that I do challenge you also to be brave while you're consuming this content. Livin and myself, our first priority is safety. Uh, So I do want to acknowledge and respect that for you guys. Well, it gives me in my absolute pleasure to welcome onto the podcast our next guest. He's a good friend of mine. He's also my arch nemesis from Australian Survivor Season 1. We were both in Samoa in 2016, and Lee was a reckoning. He came with a reckoning force, one of the most competitive people I know. And we'll talk to him about the importance of mateship. We'll also have a bit of banner about our time out on the island together. The good times, the hard times, everything else in between. But I also want to speak to Lee about his transition as a a career-ending injury in his professional cricket days for the Queensland Bulls. How he dealt with that physically and mentally, I don't know. So I want to find out from him, first-hand experience, how he dealt with that. Um, and where this resilience in his life comes from. But just so recently, Lee lost his mum while he was out playing Survivor for the second time in All-Stars. And he lost his mum partway through playing the game. And he was dealt with a simultaneous blow. And I really don't understand and don't know how he worked through that. It would have been extremely hard. Words wouldn't even be able to describe it. So I want to talk to Lee about that trauma. And I want to talk to him about the importance of building a tribe and building an alliance in your life. People that you can trust on, people that you can lean on and ask for help when you're struggling. The guy's an all round gentleman. He's a great guy on and off the TV screens. But without further ado, let's bring my good friend and all round legend, Lee Castledine, onto the podcast. Lee Castledine, brother, welcome onto the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure. Having you on here with me today.
1: Oh mate, I'm so excited. It's been a while since we've sat down and had a real good chat. Yeah, mate, we've shared some good times together. So it'll be good to yeah, have a bit of a chat, mate.
2: Hasn't time gone fast since we were on the island in two thousand sixteen.
1: Mate, I got a Facebook memory the other day. It was like you and I in a bed in Survivor. <laughs> I thought, has it been oh that long? God. Has it been that long?
2: Mate, my missus hit me up and asked why when I showed her the series back. She's like, why did you pick a dude, not one of the girls? I was like, we're trying to do you know, a bit of strategy.
1: <laughs> strategy, mate. It's all about strategy. It's all about those Tim teams, mate. That solidified that relationship for at least another four hours until you tried to vote me off. <laughs>
2: Ha <laughs> Mate, before we talk about that, let's just rewind the clock a bit. Obviously, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Not everything is perfect in anyone's life. Obviously, we all go through traumas, hardships, experiences, and this is the podcast where we certainly want to share those stories as best as we can. But that being said, mate, talk to me about your life before Survivor. Professional cricket, you're doing it for 13 years. What was that like for you?
1: Mate, it was a dream come true, Webby. Like, you know, all I wanted to do as a kid was to play sport, to play cricket. I fell in love with the game because I think of the mateship... Being in a team environment, share your wins and your losses, and I just something something about the sport. I look back on it now. I go, why was I so attracted to that sport? And why couldn't have been rugby league or something a bit more exciting? <laughs> but it was cricket, and I was very lucky to play it for fifteen years. You know, and it was tough. It was played in a tough era. To make a living out of the game was a lot. It took a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work, and a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But I wouldn't have it any other other way, mate. Because it was it was a really good journey. You know, there was some big highs but some devastating lows as well so yeah
2: yeah mate Talk to me through some of those highs and lows what was the standout for you and mate i want to make it really clear i don't really follow too much cricket so i'm probably very rarely for as an aussie that doesn't follow cricket certainly not judging people that play it or watch it all the time but what i'm saying is mate i just want to make that clear i'm I'm not an avid cricketer by any means what were some of the highs in your career
1: I think the high was the ability just to travel the world. I spent five seasons in England. I played in Bangladesh. I played in India, Pakistan, New Zealand, Thailand, Singapore, Scotland, Ireland. You know, I travelled the world doing what I love doing and met a lot of people. So that was probably the highlight, the ability to travel and play the sport. A couple of individual highlights, you know, obviously making my first 100 from a state and other things like that. Winning flags, I think that's probably the team successes far outweigh any individual successes. I actually kind of liken it to the success we had on the island, Webby, where you know how you have that euphoric moment where you'd win something and you just get so excited and that's the feeling that I had when I played the game, you know, those big wins, you know, winning tournaments and things like that. So there were probably my highs, my lows were losing my contract at the age of about 27, I was in the peak of my career as a sportsman, as a cricketer and probably just verging on playing for Australia and I had this chronic back injury that, pretty much took me out of the game and ended my career so I had to have a spinal fusion and on top of that I contracted septicemia as well which is a pretty bad infection and nearly died so you go from these high moments of playing sport for a living and doing what you love to next minute literally having your contract torn up while you're in hospital bed to say thanks for your services Lee we do no, no longer need you and at that time I had a wife, I had a baby on the way and I was in hospital and not being able to walk and didn't know whether I was going to walk again. So you talk about some lows, that was a devastating low and then finding a way out of that was just a journey in itself. And So there's probably some big highs but it's also some devastating lows as well.
2: And, mate, I appreciate you sharing that because you shared some of this stuff with me on the island but this is the time so we can educate some of the people that are listening who already follow you and want to know more about what you've been up to and you know where it all sort of started and begun for you. The time where I'm really interested to talk to you about is the time of injury, having a great career. You know, you've been playing so many games. You're making a living from this to, you know, having this career-ending injury, which means you're no longer playing the game that you loved. The families and the teammates that you'd bonded with so hard over so many years was no longer part of your community. What were some of the steps you took on that hospital bed or those days and months thereafter, which allowed you to stay on track, or did you spiral?
1: I spiraled, yeah. It was tough. I was in a huge hole. I think, first of all, maybe I needed to get my health back. That was my first focus. And, like, I think I found that probably the easiest process to go through because i'd played sport before so had a lot of injuries leading up to that one major operation so i sort of knew in my mind how to overcome an injury and that was for me getting stuck into the rehab very similar to what i'm doing now with my shoulder so i found that process not easy but i found that one more manageable from a mental point of view it was like just your small basic steps right what i've got to do today i've got to actually get out of bed Okay, what's the next step? I've got to walk 10 meters. Okay. And that's how I break down my rehab process when I get injured. Yeah, you know, unbeknownst to me, I, I had that illness. So that really knocked me about. So that was my first process get my health back because I find myself being a pretty active person if I'm able to be active and getting out there that helps me with other facets of my life as well the next step was a lot tougher the next phase was basically right what am I going to do now my identity as a cricketer which I threw everything at I was gloriously unbalanced I like to call it with respect to my sport you know I threw everything in on it and I didn't have much of a balance outside of life so that came back to haunt me when it came to my contract being torn up you know it was a step by right who am I as a person I had to literally say and that was hard. That took a lot of time because it was Lee Carlson, I'm the cricketer. That's all I knew myself as. Then I had to try and find out, right, how am I going to support my family? So go and get some work, righto. What's your next steps, Lee, to get some work and to support your family? That was important to me at the time. For me, it was get some university behind me. It was 10 years since I'd left, finished school and just played Sport again, gloriously unbalanced, had no interest in studying, zero interest in studying. So I went and put my hand up for a, an MBA with no undergrad, and then on top of that, threw in a master of applied finance. So that was my step. My step was righto, just work my ass off to get some university because I didn't have a plan on what I wanted to do. But I knew that if I had an MBA and some degrees behind me, I would be employable, and then I knew I'd figure out what sort of my passions were outside of the sport so that was
2: let it all sort of open up from there yeah exactly you know you go through these experiences you sound like you know you're quite mentally strong and I, I know that I've been on an island for 50 odd days with you and I've experienced how competitive and how big all these parts are in your life and how much they mean to you as a human being and I respect that but when a lot of people go through times of transition and they're going through times of change they feel even more lost and they don't know what to do And it seems like you had some type of mental health education already in place. Was that from your time through cricket? Was it something you've learned over your life? Was it something your family instilled with you? Like, where did that resilience sort of come from in the first place? Because I feel like we're not born with it.
1: I think you're right, Webby. It's something that you need to work on. It's like training, training your brain it's funny you bring that up because i was interested in where i got that from as well why didn't i throw in the towel why did i continue to push on through that time where i could have easily just and given up and it's funny it definitely came from my father looking back on the stuff he was massive on affirmations manifestation vision and training your brain to get through any difficulty in life and it's funny because I'm just going back through, obviously the old man had a stroke many years ago. I'm going through back a lot of his old talks that he gave to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over his career. And the stuff that he spoke about, about having that positive self-talk was fed down that line to me. And I remember as a kid, I used to have these little affirmation cards as a cricketer, as a 10-year-old. I wrote up, I'm a great cricket. I'm going to score 50 runs today. Whatever it was, I can't quite remember. And to the point where I repeated it so often that I actually just went out and believed in it and I actually a lot of the times I executed it. Now it was funny because a lot of those kids would come across and want to read this card because they thought it had some special magical power, but all it was, it was just training your brain over and over and over again to get through because life is tough and as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult you're going to go through all these crucial times in life where you have a choice. You can either go for it and work your way through it or just sort of give up and say, no, I've had enough. So I think the old man installing that positive attitude it's funny he's had a stroke and he can barely say probably 12 or 14 words and one of them is positive 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 and that's because over 30 years that's all he trained his brain to do so i going back to your question I believe that that was given to me and it wasn't like he sat me down and said this is what you've got to do I just sort of in amongst living with him every day and being surrounded by and that's how I came to sort of have that mental toughness to get through those really tough moments later in life.
2: Yeah, it's a game changer because a lot of people don't have that and even though you weren't sat down and put through classes and it was just naturally in flow by the sounds of it in conversations and it was just a way of life and you'd learned that from an early age through behavior and attitude. How important is that conversation to you now, mate, as a father?
1: It's funny because you think you're getting the message across, but you know what does dad know? So I think with me, you know, I actually tried to sit the boys down the other day and, and say, Right oh guys, let's sit down and write our goals out because I was a very goal-orientated person, uh, like my dad, wrote down my goals for the season, and they just didn't really want to – bar of it. And I go, okay, that's all right. That's all right. But it's having that conversation and saying, right, what do we want to do to improve ourselves every day? And it's a couple of percent, a couple of steps every day, what you want to do. And over time, you know, over 365 days, over a year, over two years, if you gradually head in that right direction, yeah, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to go backwards a couple of times. But if you try and improve yourself every day, and it's also like if you've got a Muhammad Ali type internal dialogue compared to a... Carl Pilkington type internal dialogue. Now, I don't know if anyone knows Carl Pilkington. is an English guy. He's a comedian. He's very miserable. If you've got that mentality, and if your internal dialogue is sort of Muhammad Ali, just talking yourself up all the time, then it doesn't have to relay in any sort of external arrogance. I guarantee you, you will get through those moments because you'll have a choice. Of, right, I don't want to do this. No you're going to do it, you will get through it. I kind of liken it to that. You've got two choices and some people sit in the middle where they have a bit of Ali type self-chat and then a bit of that negative self-chat as well. So yeah, it's, uh, I try and instill to my boys, but I think through action for me, it's always been about action, whether you know that I'm not massive on words and I try and sort of lead by example through my actions. So if my boys see me getting up every day, exercising, trying to be as positive as I possibly can, giving them positive reinforcement on things that should hopefully sink in
2: and I agree and I think you know you hit the nail on the head and as I said I got to see it firsthand you know living in an island with you for the most time on on sand on palm fronds and whatnot and I, I saw that myself mate that you were a man of action and I respect that and it sets a good example for people in your life whether it's your family or not or the people that you're working with right now in your life you know I think it's really important it goes a long way And like you mentioned earlier, mate, how important is it to have baby goals? You know, baby steps forward in the right direction. You really just can't beat it. And I know a lot of people who might be listening right now might be going through their own stuff, their own despair or their own struggles. And I think what's really important when you're going through times that are tough is to know that they do improve and they do get better. And that's the whole mantra that we're trying to talk on here is, you know, it ain't weak to speak about your problems and your challenges because we all go through them at some level and at multiple stages of our entire life. You know, I'm sure I've got struggles coming up that I'm going to be going through. And as you mentioned, it's so important to train that brain so that you're always a couple of steps ahead of the problems and and hopefully that you can overcome them.
1: Yeah, and you're right. And every time you do overcome something... You've got something to fall back on. You've got a baseline. So even if it's something small, something big, I go back now and I look at some of the massive things that have happened in my life and I go, right, oh well, how did I get through that? Okay, this is what I did. And you've got this little plan as to how to get through. So it's almost like without saying you want these events to happen in your life, the more that they happen, the more that you become more resilient if you can get through them. And now that something is thrown at me on a daily basis and I go, I can get through that. That's easy. You know what I mean? That's pretty much what it's like now. Take takes something massively to knock me around and to really floor me. Again, perspective, Webby. You know, you look at the things that we went through out on the island and you go through and, and it might be something that you're struggling with and you go, right, oh well, I remember when I was out there and I was out there with Webby and this happened and I got through it. Going back on Survivor, that was probably one of the biggest things is showing how resilient you can be under those circumstances. And we we're guinea pigs. I did the All Stars a couple of years later, and trust me, mate, we were guinea pigs out there. We had it tough. And showing how resilient you can be, and you surprise, so many people surprise themselves out there. People who had never been out in the bush before, the people like you and me who thought we might go all right in it. It's amazing how resilient you can be when you get thrown into that situation, and you have no choice but to be resilient.
2: Yeah, exact mate. Perfectly said. Because, you know, I mentioned earlier that we're not born with those extra resilient skills. I believe as a human race, we're all a very resilient race. Absolutely. But I feel like it's really important to always know that you can keep learning and strengthening that muscle inside of you to be stronger and stronger and stronger regardless of the challenges that are coming, regardless of the positions that you put yourself in. If you're outside of your comfort zone, you might be building, you might be growing that resilient muscle. I know I certainly did when I was out on the island, man. I, I didn't know what I was in for. You know, I thought I was going to be staying in like a little hotel off screen and, mate, well, weren't we wrong?
1: Oh, weren't we? You're exactly right. It's putting yourself, and for me, to keep growing, I put myself into positions that challenge that. So to go, right, I think of your brain is a muscle, okay. You go to the gym, you exercise, you put that muscle under strain. And when that's under strain, when you're working out or doing whatever, you know, you're going to be sore. Yeah, your muscle's going to be sore, but it grows from it. And it's exactly like your brain. So I find myself now leaning towards these challenges, you know, whether it be TV presenting. Never done TV presenting in my life. Yeah, give it a go. Let's have a crack. And find a way through it and put yourself – and then you you grow from that. And it's just all these little – moments in your life that you grow from and then after a while they all combine together and then all of a sudden you become this person that you know that can get through any sort of obstacle
2: very well said and i do want to touch on probably the biggest challenge in your life you know we'll talk about survivor during this obviously you were very fortunate enough to get a call back for all stars
1: mate i was looking out for you out there i've gone oh how good it would be if webby's out there again oh
2: mate imagine if i turned up wouldn't the dream team It would have been great, man, but, you know, watching from afar and watching what you had to experience with the loss of your mum while you were playing the game, I believe it was on day 33, you got the nerves, mate, you're at the height of your life in terms of being on an island with brand new people, walk our listeners through the experience of what it's like being that far in the game, day 33, and then why you were doing the show in the first place was to hopefully win and raise money and help the family. And then getting this call absolutely out of nowhere would have changed your entire life. Can you share that with us, mate? And again, I'm very sorry about your mum's loss. Heartbreaking, man.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, Yeah, like anything, when you get this call up again, you really have to think about it because of what I went through the last time and a great experience, but very traumatic and, and sort of getting through and the healing process when you get off the island from season one. This time around, mum had contract or sort of got diagnosed with MND. So she was in that early stages of MND. What's MND? Sorry, motor neuron disease. Yeah, so she was early in the stages where basically her body starts to shut down. Dad had a stroke. 14 years ago as well so mum was looking primary caretaker of dad as well so the decision to go on was different from the first time the first time was all about my boys and showing you know what you can do and, and challenge yourself and this one was totally different so it was more the motivation of actually winning the money rather than challenging myself because I'd challenged myself before in those circumstances the money wasn't a focus on that first time
0: hold up
3: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: around so for me try and attempt to win the money to, to look after him was a huge motivation for me it allowed me also to go out there and play the game a bit more as you know webby we were pretty loyal to each other as long as we possibly could and that was a big factor of my gameplay in season one this one i was going to have a bit more fun and try and play the game a bit more in, in, with a view of trying to win the money And I was doing well. I was day 33. I had some very good alliances. We'd made merge for those who haven't watched Survivor. It's basically the business end of the game where individual challenges come in and there's a lot of gameplay. And I was doing really, really well day 33. And I remember the call I got from the producer to come over. Now, you know, Webby, if you get a call from a producer, you're normally in trouble, aren't you? You normally have done something wrong.
2: (laughs) It's a red flag. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they said, obviously, look, something's happened at home. If you get a call from home, it means that something big has happened. You don't get a call home to say that your son's got a flu or whatever. It's big news to be worthy of you stopping the game. They'd said that mum had had a stroke, a major stroke, and it was highly unlikely that she was going to make it through. So my just world just collapsed. At that stage, day 33 out of day 50, you're already mentally and physically challenged you know you are emaciated you've got no strength and you're just drawing upon reserves to get through each day so to get news like that I can't explain what it's like, but just a wave of, obviously, emotion came over me, and I just needed to get out there as soon as I... was. Now, I was on a remote island in Fiji, so the fact that she was not going to make it through the night didn't really matter for me. I just wanted to get home. I'll tell you one thing that did happen, which I'll forever be grateful for, is that survivor community came around me. Tarzan was there at a really, really tough time, and I think there was 12 or 13 people left in the game, and they came around and supported me. The game stopped. It meant nothing to them. Because they're all in the same situation. They've left loved ones. And that's probably the worst piece of information you could possibly get from the outside world. Not only that was the support from the Survivor production crew as well. They were great. And they just tried to get me out of there as quickly as I possibly could. It was probably the loneliest 48 hours to get back home, straight into a hotel, trying to get the next plane back out of there. They offered to have a chaperone. I didn't want to be around anyone. So hopped on that plane, pretty much cried the whole way home. I was a wreck too. I was, I was messy. I stunk too. Like I don't, think, I don't think I showered. And God forbid, people were trying to look at what was going on with me, trying to get back home. On top of that, I got home. I had a really bad infection in my leg to the point where I got home Mum was up the coast, she lost her life up there and she was kept up there and all my family and relatives were up the Sunshine Coast, I was based in Brisbane, when I got home, I had to go straight to hospital. I couldn't get up the coast to be with the family, I had to go straight to hospital because I had group A strep in my leg that could have turned really bad if I didn't have it looked after straight away. So I found myself not only being in the loneliest place in my life for 48 hours trying to get back home, but for another three days I was stuck in a hospital bed in Brisbane getting this leg sorted out. And I kind of didn't want anyone to be around me either at that time. It was weird. I sort of wanted to be around people and I wanted to be by myself. If anything, it was a nice decompression those two or three days in hospital trying to get my leg better because it sort of allowed me to sort myself out mentally as to what I needed to do next. My world was just crashing around me. So yeah, probably the toughest... I'd say toughest week of my life from the moment I got that call all the way through to I got out of hospital back in Brisbane and, and could get up to the Sunshine Coast and be with the family.
2: I don't even know how you got through that. You know, you mentioned being out on an island like that. We've chosen to go away and distance ourselves from the rest of the world for so long and it can possibly be, you know, it's a lot longer than 50 days even if you got to the end because you got the days on either side for finishing it up and wrapping and whatnot. So it's almost two and a half months, you know what I mean? to be away from your loved ones and understanding that situation and what that must have felt like i'm just listening and i can hear it in your voice mate it's tough very hard yeah
1: it gets a little bit easier every time i talk about it but i'm happy to talk about it and the reason that i'm happy to talk about it is that every time i talk about it it gets a little easier i don't break down as much but also i think it's important we talk about it's important to talk about stuff You know, I can bottle it up and I can not choose to talk about it. And that episode, I had to relive that episode across all of Australia, across the world. It's getting aired in other countries as we speak. And the fact that I wanted that episode to be shown like that and I had full sort of editorial control over what was shown and what wasn't, I don't know, part of me wanted to show it because when we grieve, we grieve behind closed doors and that was out in the open for everyone to see because that's what everyone goes through, you know, I've lost my mum. People lose loved ones, broken relationships. At that time in my life, people have been like that and will be like that. You will lose a loved one. And the more that you love them, the tougher it's going to be. But I think out of this and after the episode was shared and shown across Australia, I wanted to talk about it because it raised some important awareness for the Stroke Foundation which is what I was proud of to do with David and I. David was a winner of Survivor and we did some great work there. But also to show that if you talk about it, I found that if I spoke about it, it got easier. And if I spoke about it to a psychiatrist or to a loved one, a family member, a friend, a stranger who I did a podcast with, I found it just helped me get through that process so that's probably why i choose to talk about it
2: what is it about the speaking about it part that helps you get through it? is it the weight off your shoulders is it the ease of better understanding it better trying to communicate your feelings which part of speaking about it and i've actually never really had this conversation with anyone on the podcast and now that you're speaking about it, i'd love to pick your brain
1: all the above webby exactly what you just said it helps you process it it helps you understand why are you feeling like you do you're trying to understand what you went through it just eases the weight off your shoulders as well when stuff does build up I had mum's anniversary last week one year to the day that she lost her life and i felt that week just just building up it was weird again it's just another day but that week built up and i found myself having to talk to someone about it normally i talk to my mum about this stuff <laughs> she's not there I can't talk to my dad because he had a stroke. So who do I talk to? Who around in that inner circle? I can just have a chat about it. Just have to be a quick one. So all you said just then, Webby, it's all those steps. It sort of gets the weight off your shoulders. It helps you understand because you self-reflect it a bit more. You sort of say, why did I think like that? How did I get through that? And that helps that process as well.
2: Mate, to go through what you've been through, I mean, I can't sit here, words wouldn't put anything into perspective. As I said, I can just listen as best as I can and I'm hearing it. And I respect you being able to share that with us, man, on the podcast. It means a lot. And, mate, what an effort you've put in in the last two seasons of Survivor. I'll tell you what, mate, right now, would you do it again?
1: Every time I do something Survivor-related, something big happens, man. Like last time we made it all the way to the end – you know, obviously got smashed there in, in the final tribal this time. Obviously, I lost my mum. I'd say no, but I am a glutton for punishment, mate. I kind of jumped towards punishment for some reason. I'll put a disclaimer. If, if the producers call me, I say, I'm only going if Webby's on there.
2: <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah, nice. The dream team, the dream team. Mate, what was it like on there for All-Stars anyway? Or did you guys get good rewards? Was it harder than the first one, you reckon?
1: Mate, it was a piece of piss compared to the first one. Having said that, the gameplay was next level. Living conditions were a lot easier. We got a bit more rations. You know those long lockdown times where you're in your brain and you don't want to be in your brain and you've got to...
2: Oh, mate, they're the worst.
1: They're the worst. So they shorten those periods. You could have this thing called soft lockdown and hard lockdown. So soft lockdown was basically you could talk about other things in life. So just it kept that time of absolute quietness to a minimum weather was great mate fiji compared to samoa oh <laughs> it was heaven
2: oh man we got punished remember the horrors <laughs> oh, oh the
1: horror nights man they were the worst i remember being in the fetal position just in the corner and they're going i can just see the lee silhouette just rocking back and forth <laughs>
2: <laughs> mate that was so hectic eh?
1: having said that the physicality of it for the first two weeks was next level i was up against you know Lockie and david some of these big rigs and crash takers, so they wanted impact on that. The challenges were a lot tougher, but the living conditions were a bit easier. One, because we had really good weather. Two, we had we won the first challenge. We had a shelter built for us, man. We didn't have to do anything. A few extra rations as well. A few extra rewards, mate. Some of those rewards we had. The chocolate one where you uh, you went a bit oh, burko on that one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I
2: got a bit crook, didn't I? I'll you love you your day. chocolate. Loves his chocolate.
1: But strategy 24-7. The game was played to a next level. You, know, you and I, we basically had our alliance for 30-odd days and we wasn't going to budge, mate. Alliances were chopping and changing every single day, so you had to stay on your guard a bit more, But I enjoyed because the first one was like a bit of a holiday for about 15 days there. We just knew we were going to win every challenge. We were
2: flying. You know, we are
1: going to get rewarded. Yeah, we'll fly on.
2: But, mate, one thing I'd get asked often, you know, when you and I were down to the very last wire, and I want to make mention of this on the podcast cause I think it's timely, especially that you're on here. A lot of people asked after the game, you know, are you still mates? Are you guys still friends? Of course we're still friends. The game's a game, and down to the wire, that part of the game, as you mentioned earlier, your mental health, your physical health, your emotions, they're all, I don't know, I just felt like mine were rocking back and forth. I couldn't stay solid and I didn't know what I was really thinking, where I was going, what could happen. I was getting paranoid and I was thinking people were after me and someone said something about me. So it's like, man, it was just a game. It's certainly just a game for us and I enjoyed every day of it with you on that game. It was actually amazing. I had fun there and as much as it was hard, man, we bonded and it was great.
1: Mate, we shared an amazing experience together and forever we'll be close because of that. So, you know, whenever I go overseas or something like that, I'll catch up and we'll just Pick up where we left off, and I think when you go through an experience like that together, and that's probably why cricket was so good for me because you go through these experiences together. Our team is still together 25 years later, even though we do different things and we're in different worlds and stuff like that with, with cricket. So the team that I was with 20 years ago is still a team, and same with us and certain people in Survivor that we still keep in touch. We're still a team, and we can pick up the phone and we can chat to each other, and we still have that connection. So I think that's important as well, and. Yeah, I was just shattered that you weren't out there, man, and some all-stars, that would have been so good.
2: Yeah, man, me too. Hopefully another opportunity presents itself. You never know. You hit the nail on the head. The importance of having a good community, people that you can trust on, people that you may never be in conversation with them every day, like you and I, we don't talk every day, but when we do connect, it's like, you know, this conversation's picked off where we left. And, you know, we have that mutual trust and understanding. And I think that's really important with being able to share stories and share your experiences with people that, you know, you do believe in, that you trust to a certain degree that are able to hold those safe spaces for you in a conversation.
1: That word that is used in Survivor a lot, Webby, is alliance. Finding your alliance, right? And we had an amazing alliance out there. You know, you, me, and half a dozen other people. If you relate that back into the real world, it's finding your alliance, whether that's family, whether that's friends whether that's your sporting community, whether it's work, finding those people around you that you trust. You know very well that Survivor was all based on trust. The whole game was based on trust. And it's the same in life. So if you find that you can trust that person, you can open up to that person about anything. And you know you won't be judged. You know that person won't go out and tell other people if it's something confidential. So it's finding that alliance in the real life. That's what I found is really important to me.
2: Absolutely nailed it yet again. And that alliance or that community or that group of people that you trust that can hold a safe space for you is a lot of the time it can be the difference between speaking up and sharing actually how you feel from an emotional part of your body or yourself or being vulnerable to holding it in you know bottling it up and sucking it up and hiding your pain which you and i both know it doesn't really get you anywhere
1: no you're right i find myself if i'm bowling something up, I can tell I need to talk to someone about it. And it doesn't have to be a big D&M, it can just be this is how I'm feeling. And then you find that conversation. And I find on the other side, if people are talking to me about that, they don't necessarily want me to respond. So if you find yourself being on the receiving end of someone talking and spilling out their emotions and stuff like that, just feel confident in the fact that you don't have to try and come up with the answer for them. You can just sit there and you just listen and you just just sounding board off them and you just go, I feel better about it, great. And then they're on with their normal day. So I think, again, being able to talk about it is important, but be able to be that person that people can come to and chat about it because you're not expected to have the answer. You know, you leave that up to the psychiatrists and the psychs out there and, and other people who are far more qualified. But in that inner circle, if you can be that sounding board and just listen to those people, I bet you 100% that person will come off the other end of that phone call feeling a thousand
2: percent better yeah definitely and that's the importance of being able to have a conversation and you know a lot of respect and i always mention this mental health professionals are trained in the area and it's always about trying to find that right fit for you but don't ever ever underestimate the power of a friend or a loved one or a relative that can hold space for you and just listen without providing any feedback without problem solving the importance of listening could be the difference between saving someone's life and maybe never seeing them again
1: absolutely and that's going back on my mum that's what she was so great over the years like i would be in a wreck in a mess and i'd have to call her up and she a lot of times wouldn't give me advice she'd just listen she just and that's what mums are great for aren't they mums and dads they just listen to all your problems and that's what she was great at doing so that's what i try and do when people call me up and they want to chat about something just let them talk They've got something, they need to get off their chest,
2: give them support. And if they're not ready also, I mean, letting people know that, for example, if, you know, I thought you might be struggling, something I probably would say to you would be, Lee, whenever you're ready, I'm here to have a chat. And to say it in a way that's slow. Not, oh, just, I'm here to have a chat, just give me a call, whenever. Say it like, hey, Lee, I, I don't know exactly what you're going through right now, but I'm here whenever you're ready. I'm here to listen, mate, whenever you're ready, all right?
1: Yeah, that's important pertinent words that you said there, Webby. I'm here whenever you're ready. And the listening component of that sentence you just said is really important.
2: Mate, before we wrap up the show, I want to ask, what is... The next steps for you, mate, where to from here?
1: That's oh, a good good question, Webby. I've got a business, a commercial drone business in the last this year has been really busy. It's been really busy. And I spend a lot of the time between that and also the TV work as well, the presenting work, which I kind of love and enjoy. And I'm also part of the Australian Cricketers Association. I'm a past player rep. Queensland. So, players who come out of the game, I assist them and we put some things in place for them to help them navigate their way through the murky waters of retirement. So, between all those three things, it keeps me very busy. And then, obviously, I've got to spend a bit of time with the boys as well. So, um, they're doing well, mate. They've grown up since we spoke last. They're 12 and 14. So, I've got two teenage boys that I've got to keep a control of. So, life is busy, but it's just also making sure that every day I wake up and I'm so fortunate that I can choose different things that I want to do with my day if it means spending more time with my boys if it means spending more time on my business I get to choose that which you know I've worked hard to get into that position but I'm very grateful for as well yeah
2: mate I watch from afar and I love seeing you doing your uh, weekenders from a presenting slash hosting gig mate I think you're well suited so keep following those passions and those desires mate I think you're doing great as well as for drone man I know when we connected that thing was taking off and had no doubt in my mind that it will keep skyrocketing Where can people find you, brother? How can people track you down? How can people follow your journey and connect with you if they want to speak to you?
1: If you type in, I suppose, Lee Castle, I do have a website. I'm pretty sure I do. I think it's still up and running. (laughs) And then obviously socials on my Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's my creative space. I have a lot of fun on there. And yeah, slide into my DMs if you want to.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do that, guys. Lee's a great man. He's doing great things. Mate, I'm so grateful for your time today. Had a good laugh, got down and talked about some really pertinent things and some things that changed and have moved you in your life, mate, but you've really left myself and I'm sure no doubt our listeners with a lot of insight and tools that we can use around not only conversations, but around dealing with grief and dealing with emotions and accepting that they do happen. And it's really important to lean on a community or your alliance and reach out for help when you need it. Webby,
1: well, it's been a pleasure, mate. And as I say, like, you know, what you guys doing there at Living is amazing. Ever since I met you back in 2016, we had a chat about, I didn't obviously know who you were at the time and you spoke about Living and what it's there for. The work that you guys do is is amazing. And, yeah, just proud to be here, have a chat to you, mate, and proud to
2: be your mate. Likewise, brother. We'll take care, look after yourself, and always remember, my man, it ain't weak to speak. Love you, mate. See you, mate. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well Keep living and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.